Addie Middleton, and I'm the Karis Pastor here, and we are so excited you are here with us 
on this beautiful Sunday morning to worship with us together, whether you're here in the family room or joining us online. And if you are joining us online, today is Communion Sunday, so be sure to gather your um, sacraments so that you can participate with us at the end of service. And while we're here and standing together, let's start this service like we always do by joining our hearts together as we say the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father God, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for this beautiful day that we can gather together and, and worship and turn our faces towards you. We pray a blessing over Pastor Scott as he delivers a message of speaking life into one another. And Father God, we just pray that you continue to align our hearts as we worship together and praise your name. It's in your son's precious name we pray these things. Amen.
faithfulness can you just give the Lord some praise this morning he's so good to us amen
Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for the life that we have in you today, that you paid a debt that you didn't owe. And so we are just standing in awe of you this morning. The fact that we can just come to you with open arms and know that you love us and know that there's forgiveness and grace in everything that you represent today. Uh, Lord, you are all sufficient. You have every single thing that we have need of. And I know that there are many, many needs represented here this morning and you truly are all sufficient. And so we just take a moment to pause and say thank you. Help us to find strength uh, in you in those moments where we're having to wait um, and maybe we don't even see an answer in sight. God, give us the patience and the, and the faith to, to continue to believe and know that you are there with us. We love you so much. We just invite you into this service as Pastor Scott comes to deliver the word. Um, open up our hearts to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Can somebody say amen this morning? Thank you so much for singing with us. We're glad that you're here. Turn around and let's be friendly to our neighbors. Find someone to welcome this morning. Give them a big CLC welcome. And if you're here uh, watching online this morning, we'll be right back. We're so glad that, to have you. Happy New Year. Guess what? You guys have perfect church attendance. Hey, give yourselves a big round of applause. <laughs> that was the best or worst golf clap ever. Um, good morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verno, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life. And it is an honor uh, to have you here in our family room or to have you joining us online uh, it means the world to us that you would take time to, to spend this first day, first Sunday of the new year um, in worship and studying the word. So thank you for being here. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so our hope is that, yes, you will believe in Jesus and you'll hold on to that source of life, but then that you will share it with every single person that you encounter. And if there's anything we can do as a church to stand alongside you, uh, we would consider that our high honor and, and part of our mission. And so, so please let us know how we can, we can do that to stand alongside you. Well, um, a couple quick announcements, and, um, and then we're going to jump into the message. I, today has been just a, a beautiful day to get to see everybody back and to, and to move into routine. I don't know if you guys are routine folks, but I've been out of a routine, and now I'm excited. So we get things back on track. Uh, so I'm going to make three quick announcements, but before I do, let me tell you that for the next 52 weeks and for the rest of my life, all of these announcements you can find by using those two QR codes that are on the chair in front of you. The one that's on the left will get you to all of the announcements and the details. The one that's on the right is how you can give a direct link. And um, we'll take you right there to that page. You know, some of you say, well, why don't you have an offering time? We do. And this is our offering time. Um, so you can go ahead and do that. But let me go ahead and mention these three things to you. And then we'll, we'll jump into the message. So the first is that coming up on Wednesday, the 17th of January, we have our First Steps dinner at 6 p.m. right here at the church. So if maybe you started attending the church over the Christmas season, over the holidays, and you want to find out more about this crazy church, we would love to sit down and have dinner with you. It's so difficult on a Sunday morning to get to know you, but um, this just gives us a chance to sit around. There's about 25 or 30 people we'll attend, and uh, we'll jam as many staff as we can in there so that uh, you can find that connecting place and, and ask all the questions that you can. And, and so we really look forward to that, but we need you to register so we can make sure that we have enough um, food available and uh, know that we can expect you. And you can do that using those QR codes or, or stop by out at the front desk. The next announcement is that groups, classes, and studies will kick off the week of the 21st. And uh, CAD has a ton of them. We have about 500 people in this church that are connected to the life of groups. And so if you're looking to find that community of folks, this is a great way to do that. Um, beginning of the year, go ahead and get started. Um, if you can't figure out how to navigate the system online, it's a great search feature. Stop by and see Kat and her team, the Thrive Ministry team out in the lobby, and, and they'll go ahead and get you set up. Such an important part of our, of our transformation in our lives is to find a community of folks that we can, we can spend life with. And then last but definitely not least, coming up on February 9th is our Night to Shine prom. Now, if you don't know anything about what that is, 
So here at Community Life, in every February, we join with the Tim Tebow Foundation and we host a prom for our special needs community. And we already have 200 plus of those in that community registered and ready to come to the prom. And now we need to pull it off. So this is when we open up all the registration for buddies, which are the people that we'll pair up with our friends and go to the prom with them. So if you're a smooth dancer or if you're not, um, perfect chance to be a buddy and to have fun on that night. We also need folks to help with decorations and with food and with registration. But you can find those links on that, on that webpage as well. And if you can't do that, then stop by out in the lobby and um, the ladies out there will get you set up. The other thing that we do this time of year is we hand out what we call Tux Bucks Jars. So there is a company in Pensacola that has made it possible for us to rent a tux for every single one of our guys for $50 a tuxedo. If you have rented a tux in the last 100 years, $50 is the cheapest tux you will find on the planet. So we work to raise that money. And the Tux Bucks jars you can take, you can place it at your place of work or take it to your life group, or you can just make a donation and help us to pay for some of those tuxedos if you want to do that. But all of that money will go back into helping make it possible, and uh, it's just a truly, truly special night. And this year, we're going to continue to work to, make, to integrate together in Circle Life and Night to Shine to start matching up some of those volunteers and just really making sure that it works into the life of the church because... And Circle Life continues on throughout the year, discipling and pouring into that community. And so we want to make sure that we continue to empower them. Okay. So um, as we think about 2024, and as we, in August, September, laid out the sermon series plan for 2024, it became very apparent to the team that, that God was really speaking to us then as we prepared the series that this year would be a year of transformation for our church. And what I mean by that is that this year, I believe that God wants to truly mold and shape and do a deep work inside of our hearts and our lives. Last year was a year of great growth. We grew by over 300, 400 people in a single year. And this is the year where I believe God takes that group and just starts to mold and shape and prepare us for the work uh, that he's called us uh, to be a part of. And so prepare your hearts for, for that work. I'm just gonna tell you that when you look at the sermon series that we're gonna be going through, they all seem to gear around that note of, of transformation. And so looking ahead, um, this is not a shocker to any of you, but in case you didn't know, this is an election year. And so with that in mind, I wanna make a commitment to you. I know that every single day, seven days a week, you are going to be bombarded with all sorts of buffoonery all year long, amen? I want this pulpit to be free of that. Um, and so when you come to church, I want you to know that we are gonna study scripture, we're gonna connect people to Jesus, and we're gonna grow kingdom. Um, and it's not that I'm telling you not to go be a part of and exercise the rights that we have in this nation of voting and talking and spending time doing all that. You guys, please go do all of that. But here, we're gonna lift up Christ, and he's gonna be the one that we anchor our hearts into. And so I look forward to, to really presenting. You don't, you don't have to clap for that. I appreciate that, John, but all the other services were like crickets. I don't know. I was trying to figure out what, where they were on this. Forget it. Okay. So that's what we're going to be doing. And that said, we start off our first series of the year, and it's a series called Speak Life. Speak Life. And I, the first thing I'm just going to tell you is that words matter. They absolutely matter. Um, what you say to or over the life of a person can absolutely affect them for the rest of their lives. It can shape them for the good, and it can also shape them for the bad. Now, guys, I don't know if there's, and gals, I don't know if there's anyone out there that's like me, but I have this unique ability. My wife can tell me something, and I can forget it in less than two seconds. Anybody else have that ability, right? I mean, Don, you don't have to raise your hand. But there's a lot of people that have that ability. But I also have the ability to remember things that were said to me 20 years ago, good and bad, things that have shaped my life and that I've used to champion as I've just walked into struggling moments that have really helped to carry me, and also things that loom large in my head that have caused me to find fear in certain areas. What you say matters. And so in this series, we're going to take four weeks to dive into the Word and study to figure out what it means to speak life over people, and we are going to make a commitment to do exactly that in a time and in a season when everybody's going to be looking to divide and to tear down. We're going to choose to speak life. There are two foundational verses that are going to be so important as we go forward, and the first one is this. Proverbs 18, 21, King Solomon writes, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it 
will eat its fruit. And so right off the bat, you learn that we have a choice. We can speak life or we can speak death, but know this, whatever your choice is what you will consume into your life and what will be a part of your life. And so today we choose to speak life. We have a choice to do that. And then also in Matthew 12, this is the second verse. In Matthew 12, this is an interesting set of scriptures. Jesus cast the demon out of this person. And immediately the religious leaders are freaked out and they say, he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, which is a demon or known to be a demon during that time. And, and Jesus says, well, wait a minute. That makes absolutely no sense. Why would a demon cast out a demon? They're like on the same team. They, they would never do that. And that's where he gives us that verse that a house divided cannot stand. But in verses 34 and 35, he gives us clarity to talk about what comes out of our mouths and how we speak over those instances. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings good things out of a good treasure, and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. So not only do we have a choice as to whether we're going to speak life or we're going to speak death, you have to know that when you speak, you draw from whatever you have placed inside of your heart. So remember I said this is a year of transformation? This is a year when we are going to remove all of the garbage. We're going to start to pull it out, and we're going to replace that with words of life, words of hope, understanding of who God is. And so when we speak over somebody, we're going to draw from the good things that God has placed inside of us. So those, to me, are the two foundational verses that set the stage uh, for the scripture that we're going to be looking at, which is found in Judges chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and if you've got your Bibles and you want to flip there, go ahead and do that. If you've got your phones and you want to open up and, and go ahead and find that. If not, the scripture will be on the screen behind us or behind me. Um, so let me give you the setup. The book of Judges is known to most scholars as the downward spiral of Israel. You start off good in the beginning of the book of Judges, and by the time you get to the end, it is one of the most depraved moments for Israel. It's a 400-year time frame, and it is a red-hot mess. Um, to, to give you a, a little bit of a, to, to set it into, um, into, into the time frame, you've got Moses, who hands the reins off to Joshua, and you could really start with Moses and Joshua maybe as those first judges, if you will, but from Joshua all the way to the very end of the book of Judges, which leads us into Samuel, who appoints King Saul. And so that period of Judges is really everybody in between, 400 years. Now, don't think Judges in, term of, in terms of what we think of the Judges. Judges were regional military leaders that God would raise up and use to deal with issues. And so God would speak to them, just like what we're going to talk about today with Gideon. God would raise them up, encourage them, and then set them on about a task, and he would use them to help set and to put things right. Um, but what we find is that this leadership during this time, it didn't work. And they just continued to spiral all the way down. And so it just, just becomes not a, not a good thing for them. Um, it's believed that Samuel, possibly 100% maybe, wrote the book of Judges. So that he could have put all of this together. So capturing the story and the history of all of these judges over 400 years. And last but not least, I wanted to give you a way to sort of set the context in your mind. So Gideon comes onto the scene roughly 200 years after Joshua. So most of us know the story of Joshua. So Gideon comes onto the scene roughly 200 years after the story of Joshua. So for our context, if you want to connect to the story and maybe think how Gideon's mind was shaped, our nation, the United States, is roughly 247 years old. And so think of our recollection and our connection to the past and those battles and warriors and people that fought for our independence all of those years ago, the way that we hold on to those memories and the freshness of those, compare that to, to um, Gideon and how he would have held on to it too. So he would have had the stories, he would have known what they were all about, but he would have been about this distance away. We're a little bit longer away from that, but we have technology that also helps us to remember it as well. Okay, so now we're going to jump into the scripture, Judges chapter 1. And the first thing I, I want to go ahead and tell you before I even read it is, is what Samuel does is he starts off by letting you know the challenge that Israel is facing. So chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midian seven years. 
The hand of Midian prevailed over Israel, and because of Midian, the Israelites provided for themselves hiding places in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Now, I crack up when I read this because it's almost like Samuel was trying to give Israel a pass. They provided for themselves, almost like they did themselves a favor and gave themselves hiding places. Let's be honest. They were afraid. They were hiding. And what you need to know that Samuel tells you is in 200 years, this mighty nation who crossed the Jordan River and who took over so much of this promised land is now hiding in caves and fearful of another nation. So my have the mighty have fallen in just 200 years. Here we find them hiding in caves. And so he establishes for us the challenge and the battle that Israel is facing. Now I'll paraphrase for you verses three all the way down through six. Um, Samuel gives you an idea as to what they were facing. He says the Israelites would, would plant their crops and then right at the harvest when everything would, would be ripe, the Midianites would come in and just steal the harvest. And they would also bring their goats and their sheep and they would graze them and it would just destroy their fields. And so it didn't matter. Israel didn't know what to do. Do we plant? Do we not plant? Whatever we do, the Midianites are gonna come in and take it up. And what you find is you find a people that have shaped their existence around what the Midianites are doing. And so he paints that picture for us. But it ends with this really neat phrase. Verse six, at the end of it, it says, the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And I'll just throw this out there. Have you ever been in a situation that you know you caused, but you still ask God what happened? You don't want to know the answer because you know you're probably the cause, but you still cry out, God, what is going on? And God's like, oh, you know, but it's great. I'm, I'm happy that you're crying out. So they cry out to the Lord. Verse seven, when the Israelites cried to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said to them, and I'm going to emphasize the word I, he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and I drove them out before you and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not pay reverence to the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you. So I did this, I defended you, I protected you, but you have not given heed to my voice. Now, what's strange about this is they find themselves in trouble. They cry out to the Lord. God tells them why they're in trouble, and yet we still find them in trouble. So this just tells us that they're not what? They're not listening. They're not listening to what God's saying, and they're sure not making the changes in their life to appropriate and to bring about what God desires. So let's jump into verse 11, and this is where we find our person. Now, the beginning of verse 11 is interesting. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah. And I'll stop right there. So the angel of the Lord, this phrase, uh, we just finished our Christmas season where angels were popping up all over the place, right? And they were speaking to shepherds. They were speaking to Mary. They were speaking to Zechariah. And so you read the angel of the Lord and it's easy to think angel. But what you need to know is as we read on in this story, we discover this is not the angel of the Lord. This is the Lord. This is the Lord that's there. The wording shifts to God speaking to him in, in this story. So you need to know that as even though it says angel of the Lord, don't allow that to confuse you. But right off the bat, he doesn't know that this is the Lord. He just thinks that this is a person that is there. So the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now it'd be so easy in our context to have absolutely no idea what the author was trying to tell us. Now, there's a threshing floor and there's a wine press. And my guess is here in, a, in Gulf Breeze, most of you probably do not have a threshing floor. You're not beating out wheat in your backyard. Some of you might have a wine press. I know you well enough to know that you might be in that. I'm, I'm joking. Um, but let me explain to you how this works. So if you harvest wheat, you would have a rock or a giant stone on a hilltop where you would grind that wheat to separate the wheat from the chaff, and then you would throw it up in the air up on top of this hill so that as the wind blew, it would blow the chaff away, allowing the wheat to fall back down to the rock, and then ultimately you would gather that grain in to separate it. And, and on the opposite side, you had the making of wine, where you would have this giant wine press that you would throw all the grapes in. It would be down in the earth to keep it cool and you would stomp on the grapes and it would further go down into the earth to collect it all in a cistern. And, and so you have to imagine in your mind how 
questionable at best, it would look like for somebody who is threshing wheat in a wine press. He would throw it up in the air and everything would just fall right back down on top of him and it would all go down into the cistern. Not effective at all, right? Like not even workable at all. So, so the author of the story is trying to let us know that Gideon is in such a weird place that what he's doing doesn't even make sense. Their, their lives are way out of balance because of what's going on. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Now please hear me. There is nothing mighty about what Gideon is doing in this moment. Nothing mighty at all. In fact, he could have walked up and said, hey, how's that working out for you? That's how God speaks to me when I'm doing something dumb. Uh, God will just say, hey, how's that? you like that? You want some more of that? You get all that you want, right? He could have said that. He doesn't. He could have called him a coward, but God, we all know God's kind. Um, he would never say that. God doesn't do that. God calls him a mighty warrior. And, and if you actually understood the picture, you would ask yourself, what is going on here? And that's the author's point. He's trying to draw you into something that God is doing. So he calls him a mighty warrior. Verse 13, Gideon answered him. Now, this is important. Gideon has no idea that this is the Lord. And so he snaps back an answer really quickly and pushes back on this person. Gideon answered him, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has cast us off and give us, given us into the hand of the Midian. And so he immediately snaps back. When I read that, putting myself in context, I thought, oh man, you, you can't dismiss Gideon as being a person who doesn't know. He knows his biblical faith. He knows the stories. He actually believes in God. So what's going on? Because we still find him hiding. If he believes the story, he knows about Joshua, he knows about how God delivered them, why do we find him in this place, which is where you see the big challenge come in? Verse 14, the Lord says, you can see the shifting of the terminology. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midian. I hereby commission you. Now, one of the most important lessons you can learn in your entire life, be careful what you complain about because you just might be the solution. When we did our legacy groups, we had a lot of people that complained about the parking lot, and guess where they volunteer today? I'm just telling you, and they're awesome. They all help in the parking lot, and they do a wonderful job. But, but here Gideon is bemoaning everything that's going on, and God's like, guess what? I'm sending you. I commission you to do this. But the first part of that phrase Go in this might of yours. What's he talking about? He's talking about the heart that causes this righteous indignation to rise up inside of him where he says, if, if God didn't leave us, why this, why this, why this? And he's frustrated about it. It almost sounds like he's complaining, but he's really recounting his faith and he's recounting the story of his faith and he's pushing it out there. But there's a disconnect. There's something that's happened to Gideon that has caused him to not do something about it. And not just Gideon, the Israelites, they've not acted upon it. Verse 15, I love this. Gideon starts to back up. He says, he responds, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. So he's like, well, okay, you commission me. I'm not the guy. I'm not your guy. You need to go on to somewhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm threshing weed in a wine press. I'm probably not the one that you think of as a mighty warrior. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, every one of them. You ever wonder if in scripture people go, you're not who I thought you were. Because now Gideon is going, oh no, I was just complaining to God about God. And here he is face to face with him. And so the, the, to paraphrase 17 all the way down to 21, Gideon says, okay, so... I'm gonna go prepare an offering and I'm gonna bring it back and just kind of present it to you. And, and God says, I'll wait. And so he goes and he gets a, a, a goat, and he, a young goat, and he gets some broth and he gets an unleavened cake of bread and he brings it back and, and the Lord tells him to place it on a rock and then the Lord reaches out the staff and, and touches it and fire comes up out of the rock and consumes the offering. And this is when the most understated scripture in all of the Bible is said, verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that it was the angel of the Lord. 
Up until now, he had no idea. So until all of that happened, now he knows that it's God. And Gideon said, help me, Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and, and called it, quote, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. Um, this has got to be one of my favorite stories, this idea of speaking life and, and what we find in, in Gideon. Now, if, if you would like to, I encourage you to go home and read through the rest of chapter 6 and into chapter 7 and into chapter 8. Um, and I will tell you that Gideon is a mighty warrior all the way up until he forgets his connection to God and then he goes right back into the trouble that he ever came from. So there's a lot of lessons that you can learn in there, but for the sake of speaking life, we're gonna look at this instance that we find here in our text that we looked at today. So the first thing that we need to consider is that there's a problem, that Israel has wandered from God, they're separated from God, and God wants to do something about it, and so he's going into the land and he's going to raise up a judge, he's going to raise up somebody that will take on the challenge and start to win ground for the kingdom, which then causes us to consider Gideon. Now, I had never thought about this in all the times that I've talked about Gideon, but you have to realize that Gideon was a believer in God. He wasn't just some scrub that was out there doing this work. He was a believer in God. He's a person that knows the stories of his faith. He even believes that the stories are true so much that it's causing him to push back on a stranger that said something to him. But we find him hiding, subject to the world around him, and he is not happy. And here's what I think is the most powerful part of it. He has structured his entire life, his entire world, around the Midianites and not around his faith. And so along comes the angel of the Lord, or the Lord, and does something so powerful. The angel of the Lord calls to something deeper in Gideon. And for the sake of the sermon, let's just say he speaks life over him. He calls that thing that's out of him. He calls to an image that in the story is not present, but rather it's a part of his DNA. That God reaches into his soul, reaches into the image of who he is, and he pulls that out and he calls him a mighty warrior. And then if you track along, like I said in the story, it's proven that he is a mighty warrior as God walks alongside and leads him. And so as we studied this in my life groups this week, this story generated so many questions about, you know, about Gideon, about God, and about this relationship, and about what it means to speak life. And so I, I took some of those and I wanted to parcel them down because they're, they're questions you like to shove at the text and see what the text would say to us. And so here was the first one. How does God determine that Gideon is a mighty warrior, except that he's God. How does God know that he's a mighty warrior? Right, because he doesn't look like one. But then that led to this question. Is everyone a mighty warrior and God was just looking for someone to respond? And then the next question. Is everyone able to face and defeat an enemy? And here's a truth that I wanna give you that for me, is one of those foundational points that if you take it and you hold on to it in life, stick it on the shelf somewhere and use it as a filter that you use in your life that I think is going to be most important. That it is impossible for you to know who you are if you do not know who God is. It is impossible for you to truly know who you are if you do not know who God is. And so in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, God says, let us make humankind in our image. And then if you move on forward, ultimately he says, so God created humankind in his image, male and female, he created them. And so to connect to a, a little bit older generation, like a secret decoder ring. How many of y'all remember secret decoder rings, right? Now Jim Bell was asking me in first service, what box of cereal are we gonna find this in? Like a secret decoder ring, if you wanna know who you are and what you are supposed to look like, you have to get to know God. Your heart, your character, your nature, if you truly wanna understand those things, you've gotta dive in, study, figure it out, and get to know the image of God, because that's how we were created. We were created to be in the image of God. So here's the problem with us today and with Israel and the story that we're looking at. Oftentimes, we put a higher emphasis on what culture has called us to look like. 
We put a higher emphasis on, on what culture says we should look like, sound like, what we should stand up for, what we should sit down for, what we should be preaching, what we should not be preaching, what we should be giving money to, what we should not be giving money to. Oftentimes, we have allowed culture to shape us far more than we have ever allowed God to create. And what ends up happening is we find ourselves in the proverbial spot where we are threshing wheat in a wine press. And this is right about the time that you land in the preacher's office saying, what happened? And God says, you know what happened. You have spent your whole life trying to be successful according to what the world deems to be success. When I've called you to be successful in a different way, by yielding, by giving, by allowing me to, to transform and to lead and to guide. And if we could just understand that, if we could just capture the image of God and allow that to be what shapes us, then we would truly understand what it means to be mighty warriors, to be people who value peace, to be people who are willing to give their lives to people who don't even deserve it because that's the mark of what we understand to be in the life of Christ so that God can be known in this world. One of the verses that just jumped out to me off the page is, is the verse that we've used for so many different things, John three sixteen. But but I want you to hear it in a little different way. You ever wonder why Jesus could actually say to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I know some people in this world, and there's some people I'd be like, God loves that person, because that person's kind of a jerk, right? I mean, how can Jesus say, for God so loved the world? That, that's a blanket statement. The only way that God can say that is because every single person is created in the image of God, and every single person has sacred worth. Doesn't matter who you run into, whether you like them, whether you don't, they were created in the image of God and there is the understanding of sacred worth that's in their life. Not every person will receive that or believe that in their life, but we can treat them as such because that's what God has created them for and that is exactly why he sent his son, Jesus. And so if we're gonna talk about it today, that's why it's so important to open up our hearts and choose to believe in Jesus because it is in his life that we see the revealing of the Father. And we receive Jesus into our lives. It teaches us how to live. He becomes the light of life, showing us how to respond, showing us how to live, how to move forward in those things that we're facing. So quickly in closing, here are the few things that I just wanna point out to you, and this is really, really fast. Two things. If everything I just said is true, then we need to know the image of God, which means we need to pray, study, find community, find those groups, go to church, learn how to give, learn how to serve. This is that Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, we need to make sure that we're filling up our heart with good things. And the second thing is, as people who believe, we have to be willing to speak life. Speak life over people. Um, we have to call to what God has placed inside of people. I don't want you to be disingenuous. I want you to allow the Spirit of God to give you the words to speak over somebody that will call them to a place of life. So often, people that we're encountering, they don't look anything like what they're supposed to. They find themselves in a bad place and you struggle to find something good. But I'm telling you, if we could get to the place as believers where we can look into the heart of somebody and allow God to draw something out and we start to speak that, I'm telling you, it will change hearts and change lives forever. And just as a little side note to this, as, as people, we need to not tear our children down. We need to build them up and we do that by speaking life over them. And whether it's children or whether it's people that we're mentoring, Build them up, encourage them. This is gonna be one of those years where people are gonna spend time just tearing us down. We have the opportunity to speak life. Kristen has this great saying in children's ministry. It's, it's awesome. She says, the greatest thing you do for God may not be what you accomplish, but rather who you raise. And I'll just add to it this, rather who you speak life over. That the greatest thing you accomplish for the kingdom may not be something that you accomplish out in the natural, something that you see, but it could be the person that you speak life over. You have no idea the words that you speak over somebody, how 20 years from now, those may be the words that they're recalling when they're faced with an opportunity to step forward into what God has placed in front of them. I know from my life, I had people that were willing to do that, and today I'm reaping the benefits of the words that they've spoken over me all these years later. And so we have the opportunity to do exactly that. And it starts by filling your heart with Jesus. And I thought it was interesting to think about that and say, when you open up your heart and you allow Jesus in, what you honestly do is you imprint him upon your heart. And it's that image that we use to move forward. Amen? All right. I invite you, if you will, to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you.
God, and we thank you for this day and for this opportunity really to, to just start off the new year by considering ourselves, our hearts, what we say to ourselves, what we hear. Are, are we allowing you to shape who we are? Or are we allowing society to shape? And God, as we take an account of that, I then ask that you help us to take the next step and to then take that ability to speak life and to speak death and choose life over people. And that as we strengthen and call out of people what you've placed there, Lord, I believe it is the beginning of something so, so very powerful. God, we love you, we trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite our communion stewards to come forward. And it feels like every time we receive communion, I say this, and maybe it's true. Every time, I don't know. But every time we take communion or receive communion, I feel like it is such a perfect connection to the message. So think about Gideon. Two, 200 years after Joshua goes into the promised land is tasked with remembering the stories of his faith. Well, here we sit in Gulf Freeze 2,000 years after Jesus. And we gather around this table and we are asked to do what? To remember. To remember the God that loved you enough that his body was broken and his blood was shed. And it is in the image of this God that we allow our lives to be shaped. That because his body was broken, because his blood was shed, we can find freedom from the sin that entraps us and that holds us down. We can find life. And so today, maybe, man, life has been a blur and it's been a struggle. Maybe this morning you decide to anchor your hope once again in the God who truly gives you your image, that you are a mighty warrior, that you can be that person who can discover peace in the midst of chaos. And it's around this table that we remember the God who sacrificed so greatly for us to experience that. It was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and then he turned and he, or then he broke it. And then he turned and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat, do so in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink, do so in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, and we're thankful for the work that you're doing in our hearts and our lives and in this church. And I pray that this would be a year of transformation. When God, we, we come to the place to where we understand in greater detail, Lord, what you've called us to. And, and it's not easy to, to work and to, and to move into that place. Oftentimes it means making sacrifice and, and doing the work. But Lord, I pray that in the work, we start to see the fruit bear out in this place, in this world, where people are connected to that God that loves them. And so whatever it is that we need, Lord, I pray that you meet us right here at this table for hope, for healing, peace, strength, guidance, wisdom. Lord, we trust that right here, right now, you are the God that's present to us. We love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as the communion stewards are getting set up, um, I want to remind you that you do not have to be a member of Community Life Church to, take, to receive communion with us. Um, you're a part of the family, and so you're welcome to join us at the table. We receive communion by intention. And so as you come forward, if you'll hold your hands out, we'll place a piece of bread in your hand. You then take the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive communion that way. If you're nervous about germs, um, at each station we have individually wrapped communion sacraments or elements. Take one of those. Take multiple home if you want, for if you have family members that weren't able to make it to church. Um, we have a gluten-free alternative for those who have special dietary needs. And last but not least, on the stage, there are baskets. Uh, when we receive communion, we always take up a communion offering, and you guys are rock stars. The way you help us to take care of people, to provide counseling, to provide what's necessary for so many families, it's just incredible. So thank you for, for doing that. Okay, the table is set. I invite the first few rows to stand and exit your row to your right and come forward as you're able.
when troubles come, when I can't see the way, I will sing the name of Jesus. I'll sing the name, I'll sing the name. that's worthy to be praised. I'll sing the name, I'll sing the name of Jesus. This anchor these mornings we can come together as a family to receive communion and to remember the love that God has for us, the sacrifice that he made for us to have life. And in this series, my hope, my prayer is that we would be able to receive words of life. We'd be able to speak life as well to those relationships and our marriages and our, and our work and our school and the places that we go, that we would be able to share those words to bring life to those around us. I'm so thankful for you, for the ministries, for the relationships that we have. Whether you're here in the family room or joining us online, what you do matters. We're so grateful for you. If you're joining us for the first time, you'd like to find out ways to get connected further, come have a conversation with us in our Next Steps room just right out in the lobby after this. But would you stand with me now as we pray and prepare to leave this place?
Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We are so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. God, in this year, I pray that you'd help us to focus on that, on the gifts, on the blessings, and then help us to be a blessing to those people around us. God, I pray that you would give us the words and the hearts to be able to speak life to those people around us who so desperately need to hear about a Savior who loves them. We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a great week. children longing for